Good morning. It's, it is fun to worship together this morning. Amen? Amen. Uh, my name is Luke. For those of you who don't know me, if you're, if you're new with us, if you're visiting for one of the many things we have going on, um, I was talking to Josh and he said, you know, we have other Sundays, right? We didn't have to put everything on one Sunday, but you know, I said, you know, God may come back tomorrow. Who knows? So let's just put it all in. That's a joke. Sorry. My sense of humor is not very great. My kids tell me all the time. But uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 32. We're continuing our walk through the book of Genesis, through this narrative. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles that we would love to get into your hands, so make sure that uh, you, you check those out in the entryway. We have, a, we have a lot of stuff going on, so we're just going to dive right in, because what we see here, and I'm going to warn you, we're mainly just sticking with Genesis 32. I was going to try and hit 32 and 33, but mainly 32, because what we see in 32 is we see Jacob... This guy that we've been following for the past few weeks, as the narrative has kind of followed his life now, we see Jacob having an experience with God that changes his life, that changes his life. And I got to think, as I was going through, um, as I was going through this passage the past few weeks, I kept thinking about experiences that I've had that have changed the trajectory of my life. We, we all have those, right? We all, um, if, you, if you think back to, to maybe you, maybe... Um, maybe it was a phone call. Maybe it was as simple as a phone call that changed the trajectory of your life. Maybe it was news that you got. Maybe, for me, I think about my wedding day. I mean, that's, pretty, that's a pretty obvious change to your life. Um, 17 years ago, we were just kids. I think we were 12 at the time uh, that we got married. And, and uh, I remember, though, I remember just standing at the front of that church in Kirksville, Missouri, not knowing what was going to happen not having any idea how to be married, but just knowing as I watched my bride-to-be march down that aisle, I just wanted my life to be with her. You know, and, and, and just thinking like that, I knew, I did, had no idea what God was going to have for us in, in store for the future, but I knew my life was going to be different after that. After that day, my life was different. And, and for those of us who in here who would claim Christianity... My hope is that you can point back to a day where, or, or a time period where you could say, that happened to me with God. I can think back to my story. I can think about um, uh, back in 1998, I had just graduated high school. I'm really dating myself this morning. But uh, I just graduated high school. I went to this church camp for the last time, and God just saved my soul. I was in the middle of my rebellion. I was in the middle of just, just following my own path, following my own ways, and depression and brokenness and all of those things. And God, God brought me to himself. I had, I had an experience with God that changed me, and I believe that we want to be people who are changed. We want, to be, we want to be people of change. And yet the reality is we cannot be people who are changed unless we have an experience with a God who changes people. Amen? And that's what we see in Jacob's life this morning. It was we, he has an experience with the God who changes people. And my question as we think about this this morning, maybe, maybe you would say, oh, yeah, I had that experience a long time ago. Back, I mean, 1998, that was a long time ago, right? That was a long time ago. Maybe you, maybe you, like me, would say, yeah, that happened a long time ago. Or maybe you're saying, yeah, I've never had that happen. No matter where you're at on that spectrum, we need to have experiences with God that leaves us changed. Amen? And that's not just a one-time thing. So we're going we're gonna to look at how Jacob, what, what that looked like for Jacob and what that can look like for us. So go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 32. We're starting in verse 1. It says, Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. 
So he called the name of the place Mahanaim, and Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I have sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. Let's, let's stop there. The first thing that we see in this chapter is, is a, it seems like a huge thing. If this, was, if this was my story, this seems like a big thing, but it gets hardly any attention by the author of Genesis. The very first thing that we see in Genesis 32, it says that as Jacob went on his way, he encountered the angels of the Lord. The angels of the Lord met him. And he's like, oh, we're in God's camp. It's like, have you ever had that experience where you walk in the wrong door and it's like you, maybe you went to another church you haven't been to before and you walk in the door that's in the front of the, you know, you walk in, it's like, oh, you know, I'm like, there's, you just sit down, like maybe nobody saw me. Like, it seems like that's where Jacob's at. He's like, oh, this is God's camp. And it's this, it's this idea that this is a military encampment. And he names the place Mahanaim and he's saying, there's two camps here. There's my camp and there's, there's God's camp. And the reason that's important as we, as we look at what does it look like to have an encounter, an experience with God, is because if you haven't been with us, um, we're right in the middle of a story. We're right in the middle of a narrative. And if you haven't, if you haven't been with us, I'd encourage you to go, uh, go online, not right now, but go online and listen to some of the past messages because, because we're in the middle of something. Because Jacob, even as he, as he sends messengers on to Esau, he says, tell Esau, I've been with Laban. For the past 20 years, I've been sojourning with Laban. I've been living with Laban. I've been in, in, in Laban's house. And we know from, uh, from Todd's message last week and the message before that as Jacob was with Laban, Laban was a really hard guy to, to be with. Jacob was with him 20 years, hard labor. And as the, as the story went on with, with Laban, his uncle, Laban just continued to turn in on himself and get hard and deceptive and all these different things. And finally, finally, Jacob broke free from that situation. And, and now he's on the verge of another situation. He's on the verge of, of meeting up with his brother again, who 20 years before this time wanted to kill him. And he's kind of in this in-between where he just came out of something hard and he's looking at going into something hard. And God in the middle of the in-between says, Jacob, don't forget, I am with you. That's good news this morning, isn't it? In the middle of, of the situation, in the middle of coming out of something hard, going into something that's going to be hard, God says, don't forget, Jacob. Don't forget who is your strength. Don't forget who is, who is with you all along. And it's almost like God just gave him eyes to see what was happening in the spiritual realm in that moment. And he's like, oh, God is with me. Don't forget. But then he sends his messengers on. In, in that knowledge that God is with him, he sends his messengers on. And in humility, he tells his messengers, say to, say to Esau, say, you know, my Lord Esau, your servant Jacob, have this interaction. And then in verse, verse 6, it says, and the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. Let's, let's stop there. What just happened? In one moment, Jacob gets this reminder from God that says, hey, I'm with you. Don't forget in the midst of, of your difficult situation, as you're looking at this new difficulty, don't forget I'm with you. And then all of a sudden he gets news 
that his messengers say, we went to him, now he's coming to you. And he's got 400 men. Now, 400 men in this culture, in this time, I mean, that would be a lot today. But in this culture, that was an army. Like somebody who's bringing 400 men, they mean business. If you, if you remember, if you were here with us in Genesis 14, when Abraham goes to rescue Lot from, from the kings who destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah or who, who, uh, who came against Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham went against them with 318 men and, and overpowered four kings and their armies. Now his brother's coming with, with 400 men. See, in, in Jacob's mind, the, the last thing he knows about his brother is he wants, he wants him dead. And so from his perspective, his brother's coming to finish the job. And so he freaks out. And I love Jacob's story because it's like this roller coaster of spiritual life where one minute he's like, oh, yes, praise God, he's with me. And the next moment it's like, oh, what am I going to do? You know, and then the next moment it's like, oh, praise God, oh, what am I going to, you know, and it's like, it's like back and forth. And I love it because it's like, man, that is my experience. That's me, right? So often, and I love it because after he splits up his camp and he's like, oh, man, what's going to happen? He immediately goes to God in prayer. It's like that roller coaster. And I love it because as he goes to God in prayer, it's, like, it's almost like he remembers, like, oh, wait a second. This is Mahanaim. There's two camps here. There's my camp and God's camp. And so in verse 9, he says, and Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your kindred that I may do you good. I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I crossed the Jordan and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers of the, with the children. But you said, I will surely do you good. And make your offspring as the sand of the sea, but you, and which cannot be numbered for multitude. I love it. As, as Jacob goes to God in prayer, it's almost like he's preparing himself for this encounter that we're going to read about in just a few moments. He goes to God in prayer, and the first thing that we see is he, he prays with this attitude of, of security. He goes to God in prayer, and he's like, God, you are the God who is faithful to my grandpa Abraham. God, you are the God who is faithful to my father Isaac. And, and he's like, God, God, I know you've been faithful to my family, but he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't have this just long-distance relationship with, with God. He has a personal relationship with God. He says, not only are you the God of my grandpa and the God of my dad, but you're my God. I have followed you to this point. I am trying to, trying to come close to you. I'm trying to be with you. And see, lots of times I believe we have this idea or this understanding that a long-distance relationship with God is good enough. That if we just keep God safe and distant, that's, that's good enough. I, I was talking to a guy, it's been quite a few years ago, but I, we were, I, can't rem- I can't remember exactly what all we were talking about, but he's one of these guys with some pretty colorful language. Um, and, you know, just talking about his life, and we were talking about different things, and, and finally he said, well, what do you do? And I said, well, actually, I'm a pastor. And, and people, it's funny how fast people's language cleans up when you say, I'm a pastor. It's like, oh, uh, you know, like, like God's listening in through me or something. Um, and he's like, whoa, wow. Well, man, you're pretty young. Well, how'd that happen? And I, I was. I was super young at the time. And, and I thought in that moment, I'm like, man, here's an opportunity that I get, to, I get to share the gospel with this guy. So I just started telling him my story. I t- started telling him about how distant I was with God and how depressed I was and how broken I was and, and how, how in that moment God saved me and God offered me a new name, new life, new trajectory, new hope, all these things. And, and at the end of it, I'm thinking, oh, man, 
I bet he's just going to repent right now and turn his life around. And he said, oh, I, I know what you mean. I'm, I'm a member of the church down the road. And I thought, you know what I mean because your name is on a membership roster somewhere? You know what I mean because you had some experience at some point that doesn't seem like it has any other bearing on your life. You know what I mean? Uh, have you ever had people before where you talk to them and they're like, oh, yeah, my grandpa was super godly. And it's almost like they think that because that, they, they are just grandfathered into a relationship with God. I heard somebody say one time that God has no grandchildren. Right? Like Jacob's saying, God, I am following you. And I think there's many of us who would say, I don't know if I've made that decision yet. I've, I've been around it. I, maybe I've grown up in it. But, but you wouldn't say that it's you following God. Maybe you're still at the place where it's like, yeah, my grandpa, my grandma, my grandma was super godly. Well, surely some of that will rub off. No, no. Guys, Jacob makes a decision. He says, I'm following you. Not, but not only that, but he has, this, he has this attitude of security and an attitude of surrender as he's praying to God. He says, I'm not worthy of anything that you've given to me. I'm not worthy of, of the least of these blessings. He says, when, when I traveled across the Jordan, all I had was a staff. All I had was a stick in my hand. If you remember a couple chapters back, when Jacob left his home, all he had was a rock for his, for his head to lay on. And, and I guess a stick, because he says that here. But now he's coming back, and he's like, look at all that I have now. All this is from you. All this is yours. And, and it's almost like he's saying, now whatever you want to do in this moment, it's yours anyway, God. So, so have your way. It's almost as if he's going to God with open hands and saying, God, all of this is yours. You are faithful in giving it to me, and if you want me to keep it, you'll be faithful in that. And I think, oh, man, sometimes we, we forget this, don't we, so easily. We forget that everything we have is God's. And we hold on to it with, with, white, with a white-knuckled grip, and we fear, and we think, man, i got to do all this to keep it, and what if I lose it? And, what if, and we, get, we get just submerged in the what-if game, right? Because we're so afraid, and yet what we see Jacob is he goes to God with open hands. And there, there are times where, man, that's hard to do, isn't it? Because what if, God, what if God would ask more of us than we're willing to give? What if God, what if God wants us to, to go where we don't want to go? What if God wants us to give more than we want to give? What if, what if God is more comfortable with uncomfortable situations than we are? And I think what Jacob is doing is he's, as he's looking at what's on the horizon, he's coming to God with open hands and he's saying, God, my security, my hope is in you because I didn't do anything to get this stuff and I'm not going to do anything to keep it. So God, it's, it's all yours. And, and, and not only does he, does he go to God with this attitude of security, not only does he go to God with an attitude of surrender, but I think he goes to God with this, with this realness about him. What does he say next? He says, God, I'm afraid. I'm afraid and I, I, love, I love that he can say that he is afraid. He says, God, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of my brother Esau. He's going to come, and, and he may attack me and, and my, my wives and their children. I, uh, he's like, there's, there's people that depend on me, God, and I'm afraid. And I think the reason that I love this so much is because I think that we have a hard time in the church being able to confess when we're not okay. It's almost like, it's almost like there's this written rule. Like Sunday mornings, I heard, I heard people talk about how like, sometimes Sunday mornings can be the most stressful mornings of the whole week. Have you ever been there? 
You know, it's like everybody, you know, like for some reason you're fighting with your spouse and for some reason your kids are the worst things ever, you know, and, or maybe your, your baby just poops out their whole outfit or, you know, it's like whatever. We've been there before, right? You know, where it's like, how did they poop me? You know, it's like, I all been there, you know, it's Sunday morning, you know, and it's like, you're, you're heading up to the door and it's like, oh, you kids. And then the greeters are at the door and they're like, Hey, good morning. You're like, Hey, good morning, brother. How's it doing? Good morning, sister. How you doing? I'm doing good. I'm, you're doing good. I'm doing good. Everything's good. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. You know, it's like, we have this unspoken rule that we can't be people who are not okay. And, and I love the fact that, that Jacob comes into the space and he's like, God, God, I, I'm afraid in this moment. I'm fearful. See, as Christians, I don't think we have to always have the right answer. And I think the reason is because we think that the presence of fear means the absence of faith. We think the presence of fear means the absence of faith. But I don't think that's true. I think actually faith is what we do in the presence of fear. I think that's what we see in Scripture. We see that in David's life throughout the Psalms. We see that in Paul's life in 1 Corinthians 2, 3, where he says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. I think we even see it in Jesus' life before the cross. When he's in the garden, he's sweating drops of blood. He's asking his disciples, Guys, would you just pray with me? Would you just stay awake with me? And in Mark 14.34, it says, And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. See, faith is what we do in the presence of fear. And I think that we see this in Jacob's life because he ends his prayer in the same place he started it. In verse 12, he ends the prayer saying, But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. He's saying, God, I'm afraid, but in my fear, I'm going to stand on my faith in you. I'm going to stand on what you've done. I'm going to stand on what you've said. And he, he goes from there, and, and he, he launches this plan into action. We're not going to read it. I would encourage you, if you're not in a connection group, get in a connection group, because this is where you can, you can ask these questions. You can be like, Luke jumped over all this scripture. It's like, yes, I, hey, I warned you. Okay, so, so be a part of a connection group where you can talk more about that because we're going to jump to verse 22. He, he sends all of these animals ahead of him to Esau, trying to appease him, trying, to, trying to, to make him happy with him. In verse 22, it says, The same night he arose, took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children, and crossed the fort of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. In that moment, in that, in that night, we see that Jacob is all alone. He sent everything he had across the river, and he's just in this moment because it is on the, the eve of this experience that he's going to have with Esau. The next day, he's going he's to meet up with his brother who wants him dead. He's going to meet up with his brother who's bringing 400 men from his perspective to finish the job. And he has no idea if his plan worked. He's, he's fearful, and he's just in this place where he's saying, i gotta be, I got to be alone with God. And then in that moment, it says a man started wrestling with him. What, what poor timing, right? If, if you were Jacob, and you're like, man, I am so stressed out, and, and all this stuff, like Esau's coming, 400 men, my, my wives and my children, and then a guy's like, what's up? And he just like puts you in a headlock. It's like, I don't need this right now, right? But if you read on, we see more of what's happening. In verse 25, 
When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Let's just stop there. We see that as this man shows up and starts wrestling Jacob, Jacob realizes somewhere through the course of this interaction that this is God. That this is God, and this is God with skin on. Meaning, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. This is the pre-incarnate Jesus. And that's just a big way to say this is Jesus before Bethlehem. This is Jesus before the manger. He shows up, and in this moment, I I love it because this is the encounter. This is the experience. Jacob's going to God in prayer, but now it's like this this is on his doorstep. And the first thing that we see as, as Jesus shows up in his life is that he shows him his power. And you may say, well, that seems weird because it looks like Jacob's doing pretty good against Jesus because he's like overpowering him and Jesus is saying, let go of me, let go of me. But but we see here who has the actual power. When they're wrestling, what does does Jesus do at, at, at a moment as they're wrestling? He just, it's almost like to show Jacob who holds the power, he just touches his hip and it's just like pop, pops it out of socket. It's almost like, it's almost like when I'm wrestling my kids, not that I do like pop their hips out of socket, but it's like, it's like, the, especially when they were younger, the, there were times where it's like we'd wrestle, but no, there, were, there was never a time where anyone looking at that would be confused as to who had the power in the situation. Like, especially one time my wife, we were, uh, my kids and I were wrestling, she's like, you know what, let's make this interesting. I will give you kids $50 a piece if you can, if you can uh, pin your dad. And they just, they were like cha-ching in their minds. And they just came after me with a new tenacity. And I was just like, whoa, okay. But, but there was never, I mean, they, they came after me. We wrestled for a long time. But there was never a danger of me being pinned by my kids. I don't know if I like that you laugh at that. I, maybe you don't see this. This sweater's bulky. But... Uh, See, I I think what Jesus is doing in this moment, though, is he's showing Jacob. He's saying, Jacob, I'm with you, but not only am I with you, I have the power in this situation. I know that you're afraid of what's going to happen, but Jacob, I have power. I have power to overcome you, and I have power to overcome your situation. Would you submit to that? Will you submit to the power that you see in me? Will you submit to the power that can break you where I need to break you? Those places of pride in you, those places that you don't want me to see, will you submit to my power in those moments to allow you to be broken so that I can then work with you? He shows him, he shows him just a glimpse of his power, but not only that, I believe in this, in this experience we see God's desire to continue relationship with Jacob. How long do they wrestle? What does it say? All night, we don't know how long. I mean, at some point, Jacob gets up in the middle of the night, he sends his family on, and then Jesus shows up and starts wrestling him. But it's like they, they do it all night long. 
And I, I love it because I think what, what it shows is, again, when, when Jesus says, let go of me for the day is breaking, it's not like he's like, oh, I can't do anything. You're so strong. No, it's not that. I believe what Jesus is doing is he's saying, Jacob, I'm with you. I'm with you, but will you hold on to me? And in that moment, Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go unless I bless you or unless you bless me. And I, I love it because it's almost like it's bringing to the surface Jacob's desire to be blessed by God. And in that moment, I, I believe what, what we see is Jesus is telling Jacob, look, you don't get the blessings of God unless you hold tight to God. Because for, uh, before this, to get blessed, Jacob lied. Before this, to get blessings, Jacob deceived. Before this, to get blessings, Jacob, like, carved sticks and put them in front of sheep. And he's like, oh, this will get them, you know. And, like, I, 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 he did some weird things to, to try and get blessings from God. But in this moment, I believe what Jesus is doing is saying, Jacob, I'm with you. But here's the question. Are you with me? I'm with you, Jacob, but are you with me? Are you going to hold tight to me, the one who has the blessing? And I think it's a valid question. It's a valid question for us today because oftentimes we want the blessings without the relationship, right? In the same way that we want the trim body without the exercise, yeah? We want the money without the job. We want the career without the time. We want, we want the impact without the sacrifice, we want these things, and yet the reality is, is we don't get those things unless we are holding tight to the God who brings those things. Amen? We, we see the same thing uh, in, in uh, James. James tells us the same thing in chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. I have it up on the screen. It says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. What James is saying is he's saying, if you want to be people who are experiencing God, you got to be people who are holding on to God. Not having this long-distance relationship, not having this safe, distant relationship with God, but a relationship that says, God, I want you. See, Jacob was not going to receive what he wanted by lying and duplicity, all those things that he had done. He was going to receive the blessing of God by holding tight to God. And in that moment, I love this part, in that moment, as Jacob says, says I'm not going to let go of you unless you bless me, what does Jesus say? What does he ask? What's he ask? What's your name? What's your name? Didn't he know who he was wrestling? Was this like just dark and he's like, I don't know, anybody will do. Uh, doesn't he know? I mean, he's Jesus. He's God. He knows who he's wrestling, doesn't he? But I believe what he's doing is he is bringing Jacob to a place of confession. Because Jacob, the name Jacob means deceiver. Right? It means deceiver. It means heel grabber. It means supplanter. And Jacob, when God is saying, what's your name? Jacob has to come to a place where he's saying, my name is deceiver. My name is liar. My name, my name is heel grabber. He brings him to, to a place where, where, where he has to say, that name given to me, that actually fits me pretty well. Why does he do that? Why does God do that? Think about where he's at. He's in the in-between. He's getting ready to, to see his brother. But not only is he fearful about his brother, but he's thinking about, the home that's behind his brother, the place where they knew him as deceiver, the place where he deceived his father. And it wasn't just a white lie. It was, I mean, it was big. He put goat skin on himself to deceive his, his dad. The, the, he's going to the place where they knew him as liar. 
Even though God had done some amazing things in his life, he's going back to that place. And I've been there. I've been there. I've been in the same place Jacob was when I was back at at church camp in 1998. Uh, God did some amazing things in my life in one week, reset the trajectory of my whole life, and yet I had to go back home where they knew me as Luke, the one who, who takes advantage of women. They knew me as Luke, the one who lied really, really well. They knew me as Luke, the one who could do the longest keg stand. If you don't know what that is, it's probably a good thing, right? If they knew me as Luke, the one who is like the life of the party, and, and I, I would be lying to say that I never fell back into those, into those titles, into those things that had been placed on me. But the reality was I went into those with a new name. And I think that's what God is doing to Jacob in this moment. He's saying, what's your name? And Jacob says, liar. What's your name? Deceiver. What's your name? Bigot. What's your name? Fearful. What's your name? Insecure. What's your name? Broken. What's your name? See, when we can come to a place where we can say, this is who I am, and it can be a place of confession, that's when healing can begin. Amen? That's when healing can begin. I don't know if you're like me. There's times where, like, just the past few weeks, I was kind of sick, and, I mean, you can still kind of hear it. And my wife kept telling me, do you take any medicine? I was like, no, I don't, <laughs> I, don't need, <laughs> I don't need any medicine. I'm a man, you know. It's like, she's like, do you take any medicine? Do you take, and I was like, no, I didn't take it. And finally, she's like, take some medicine. I took some medicine. Guess what happened the next morning? Felt a lot better. Felt a lot. It's crazy how that works, right? See, it isn't until we can come to a place where we can admit that I'm broken, that I'm fearful, that, that there's things going on in my life. It isn't until we can come to that place that we can start to walk in healing and wholeness. And that's where Jesus brings Jacob to. He brings him to a place of, of healing and wholeness. And then out of that place, Jacob, it says that the sun came up over him and he's walking with a limp back to his camp. And he's walking out and he has a limp because he experienced the power of God firsthand in his life. And not only is he walking with a limp because he experienced the power of God, but he's walking with a new name. He's going into this difficult situation with his brother, the brother who knew him as liar, but now he's going in as Israel, the one who strived with God, the one who wrestled with God, the one who was with God. And my, my question as, as we look at this, and this is kind of where we're stopping, so hopefully you're not too disappointed, but, but as we look at this, my question is, what does that look like for you? Where's your life at? You know, Jacob, again, he went to God in prayer, in surrender, in security, but also open with his brokenness. And then he had this experience with God where he experienced the power of God. He experienced all of the, the brokenness of who he was. He came to a place of confession where he confessed his sin, and he walked out of that different. Have you been there? I, I think some people would say, yeah, I've experienced God, and yet you are, you are the exact same as you were before. It's like if somebody showed up this morning and was like, yeah, I got hit by a truck this morning. It's like, I don't think you're telling me the truth because I think you'd be different, right? I don't know if you'd be here telling me that you got hit by a truck. Because if you encountered something that big and that forceful, you should look different, right? What would it look like for you to walk into situations that may be on your horizon knowing the power of God, 
No matter, no matter if you had an experience with God a long time ago or no matter if you've never had it, what would it look like for you to have an encounter with Jesus this morning? No matter what's on your horizon, what would it look like for you to, to walk forward with God with open hands and say, God, I don't know what's going to be on the horizon, but I've experienced you and I'm going to walk as a new person. These labels that have been put on me, I don't hear them anymore. They're not who I am because you have called me new. See, we need, if we're going to be people who are changed, we need to have an experience with the God who changes people. It's the same thing that Jesus says in John 15. He says, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And then verse 9, it says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. What would it look like for you this morning? What are you facing? What would it look like for you to walk forward as a person who has experienced God? I want to invite you, we're going to have baptisms, and I want to invite you right now just just to bow your heads. This may be weird to some of you if you're new in church. I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads, and I want you to close your eyes. Because here's my question for you. Have you ever had an experience with God like this? Have you ever been in a place where God has intersected your life, where, where you can say, yes, before God, I was this. I was, maybe this was my name. These were my labels. But now I'm this. Now I'm new. Now I'm different. I have a new trajectory for my life. Is that you this morning? Because if it isn't, I believe that is what Jesus offers. Jacob had an encounter with Jesus that left him different, and it's the same encounter that you can have this morning if you've never done that before. And if you have, maybe you're in a place where you're like, yeah, my Christianity has kind of been stagnant. I did that a long time ago, and now it's just kind of what I do. My prayer for you this morning is that you would have a fresh experience with Jesus that you would abide in Jesus, that you would look at your life and see those things, see those places where you haven't been walking in the knowledge of his power, you haven't been walking in the knowledge of who he has made you to be. And you would surrender to him this morning, fresh and new. So as you have your eyes closed, I want you to just think about that. What does that mean for you? Let me pray. God, I thank you so much for your goodness. I praise you for the mercy that you give to us. I praise you for, for just who you are, God. And I praise you that you can have, a, have an experience with a guy like Jacob who's deceiver, who's liar, who's all these different things. And yet he can walk away from you as somebody who has a new name, as someone who has been with God. Help us, God. Help us to be people who can walk in the same way. Help us to be people who no matter what we're facing, God, we can walk in the knowledge of who you are. Because we have experienced you who changes people. We thank you, God, and it's in your name. Amen.